Sometimes people, when faced with the differences between churches, the differences between religions, sometimes their conclusion is something to the effect of, well, we all believe in the same God anyway, so what difference does it make? And they're partly right, and they're partly really wrong. So the part that they're right on is that we are all inclining towards the same God. We all have this inherent longing for the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we are all pointing in that direction because God draws us to himself. But as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself definitively in a person, in Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in a moment in time for all people, for all time, for all nations, in Jesus Christ. And for us as Christians, Jesus is the center point of human history. Because knowing him and loving him is knowing and loving God. And so what that tells us is that the inclination towards God from us towards God is good, but that's not the fullness of faith. The fullness of faith is gifted to us by God and shapes the way that we go about living our own life. So when people say it's all the same, it's not. Jesus changes everything. Once Jesus comes into the world, once the Son of the Father is incarnate in the flesh, it turns the whole world upside down. Because no longer can we just lean on, let's do everything that we can to listen to how God is speaking in the world and through the world, but now we have to listen to the Son. And we have to come to know and to love the Son so as to know the Father. Because as Jesus himself says, no one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except to those whom the Father chooses to reveal Him. This is why this profession of faith by St. Peter is so important today. When Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? They say, well, some John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, some other prophets. And Jesus doesn't go, good, they're on the right track. They know that I'm a chosen one of God. They know that I'm speaking the word of God. It's great. And he immediately goes, but who do you say that I am? I hope you don't think that this is who I am. I hope you know more clearly who I am. But nobody speaks up except Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, who is also the son of the living God. This is the faith that we are gifted with 2,000 years later. The faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our whole journey of faith as Christians, from the moment that we're baptized until the moment that we hope to meet our Maker, is coming to know and to love this person, Jesus Christ. And so we strive to allow ourselves to be shaped by that gift so that we don't fall into the trap of forming God in our own image rather than letting God shape his image onto us. It's kind of like this. We've all had the experience 
of playing a game with a small child that they've made up, right? They've made up the game, they've made up the rules. And you start playing the game with them, and then they start going, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, why? Because this rule is like this. Well, you said that there was the rule, but this is the rule now. So we don't tell the child, don't ever make up a game again. The fact that they have the creativity to make a game is good. But we teach the child that you can't just make up the rules as you go to suit you winning the game. Or I always remember when we had seminarians from other countries come and study at the seminary, when they would come and play floor hockey for the first time. They'd grab the hockey stick in super bizarre ways like kind of under the arm and upright, and they just start swinging the stick until they hit something, whether that was a ball or something else. Even when they would look around and see everybody who knew how to play the game hold the stick properly, they would still hold it awkwardly because they didn't know the game yet. So what do we do? Do we say, well, they can kind of play the game anyway. They'll eventually hit the ball in some direction and they're just here to have fun. Or do we say, no, actually, you will have much more ease playing this game if you hold the knob of the stick with your one hand and down the shaft, and that this is how you move your hands and your arms in order to shoot the ball well, and not to take off my leg in the process. The child making up the game, the seminarian who doesn't know the game of hockey playing however they want, is the half of us inclined to God. But the other half to complete the picture is what God gifts back to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And what we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to let that shape the way that we think, the way that we speak, and the way that we live? Because see, even St. Peter, who makes this great profession of faith, that Jesus exalts and says, flesh and blood has not this revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father, he still had to let his faith be purified. Right? We know his story. We know at the Last Supper, he says, don't wash my feet, and Jesus is like, you still don't get it. He denies Jesus three times. Even after he has experienced Jesus risen from the dead, when he's going about spreading the gospel, there are still two or three moments in the Acts of the Apostles where God is correcting Peter on the way that he understands the gospel. Slowly but surely, it's being refined in St. Peter, allowing God to mold his faith into the one true faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not just an instant where I say, I believe, and now I know what I believe. It's a work of grace continually moving in our life, leading us to a fuller understanding because our faith is not an idea. It's not just a series of ideas that we've parceled together so that we can walk through this life in a better way. Our faith is rooted in a person. And those of you that have been married for decades, would you still say that, would you say after decades that I completely understand and know my spouse? No, because when it comes to a human person, there is always more to know and always more to love. So why would it be any different with Jesus in our Christian life? So sometimes 
As Christians, what we do is we fall into a trap of we kind of solidify our understanding of God. And unfortunately, too often, where we solidify our understanding of God is like somewhere between grade six and grade eight. And then it doesn't change. That's where we leave our understanding of God and we allow that to carry us through the rest of our life. Sometimes to take two extremes, some people will say, well, God is love, right? You hear that multiple times in scripture, God is love. And so if God is love, that must mean that he loves everyone, so everyone is going to heaven. Well, what about when Jesus says that the goats go on the left and the sheep go on the right? What about when Jesus says at the end, the wheat and the weeds will be cut and the weeds will be thrown into the fire? There's that part too. Or on the opposite end, those that are afraid of God's judgment and damnation to hell and live in fear of what God might bestow on them for their sins. But what about the prodigal son that did the absolute worst, wished his father dead and still was welcomed back and given everything in return? All of us have the capacity to grow in our understanding and love of who Jesus is and what he is revealing to us of the face of the Father. That never ends. That's always a work of grace moving in our life. So similarly to those who say, well, it's all the same God anyway, often something that they also say was, would be, I don't need to go to church to pray. Again, they're kind of right. And they're kind of really wrong. They're right because you don't need to go to church to pray. You can pray anywhere. But why do we come to church to pray? Well, what about the creed that we profess every Sunday together? Do you know that basically every line of that creed and sometimes words were debated over for years to come to this most precise expression of who we believe Jesus to be. And now together in unison, we profess that faith so that that faith in Jesus Christ, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, might mold and shape our faith. The very same faith that existed in St. Peter that he professes today in the gospel, allowing his faith in Jesus Christ through praying together this creed to shape my faith in Jesus Christ? Is that as effective if I just pray it alone rather than praying it with the community of faith that shares this one faith in Jesus? Or we remember that Jesus not only exalts St. Peter for his profession of faith, but he says, on this rock, I will build my church. What is that rock? not the man, St. Peter. The man, St. Peter, denied Christ. But it is the profession of faith that St. Peter holds to and leads all of the other apostles after the resurrection into. The faith that we share isn't dependent on our conviction of faith. It's a foundation that is bigger than us. It is a foundation that endures centuries, that spans cultures, and times, and it is a faith that is shared by our whole community that is there to lift us all up when my individual faith is weak 
or is waning. That's what we do when we profess the creed together. That's what we do when we celebrate this Eucharist every week together, is that I can be lifted up, not just by my own faith, but by the faith of the church. And then Jesus points to Peter as the rock on which he will build his church to be this principle of unity, to bring us out of the temptation that we all have to break apart because I know what God wants. And we see how that's expressed itself in the Christian church. I can't remember what the last count is, but there's like 6,000 different Christian churches in the world now. I remember being at Newman College and there was a Protestant taking some classes with us. And he was talking about his experience in his local community. And he was talking about they were on the verge of a fracture because this pastor had this interpretation of this passage of scripture, and this pastor had this interpretation of this passage from scripture. And so the only way that they had to deal with it was one guy had to go start a new church because they had nothing to bring them back to that one mind as we prayed in our opening prayer. The Pope is there to help unify us, to lead us always back to Jesus, to the one true faith in the way that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So my question for you today is if you thought about it, when was the last time that you let God change your mind on something of your faith? Whether that's your understanding of who God is to you and your relationship to him, whether that's your acceptance of a particular teaching in the life of the church, when was the last time you let God change your mind? And then the follow-up is, are you open and humble enough to let him? What is that part of faith where you struggle to let whatever you hear in scripture, whatever you hear me preach, you struggle to accept that as truth, as gospel? Are you willing to be open and humble enough to let God shape your faith? To let the gift of faith that comes from Jesus Christ, who is God made flesh, and has revealed God to the world, are you willing to let that mold your own personal faith?